Transformation starts in a person's soul as he relates to God while refusing to make excuses for why things are the way they are. That is the way that you uh, help co- help to cooperate with God in bringing change to your life, that you are dialed in vertically. The only thing that really matters is your relationship with God, and there is no and, if, or buts attached to why you are the way that you are. The motivation for change must be a singular desire to glorify God while giving lesser consideration to the things happening in an individual's life or their relationships. And I know that that is a strong temptation. We can be so horizontally dialed in on what is happening to us that we forget primary cause. We forget our vertical relationship, which has to be of first importance. If a person focuses more on horizontal complications than God-glorifying vertical necessities, it will be challenging to bring their soul to a place of authentic long-term heart change. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am so glad that you are here. I am building a resource for you, and I'm glad that you're listening to the podcast. You can also watch by video, and I'm glad that for those of you who do that are doing that. And of course, there is an article here that you can read. The title of this resource is, I Could Not Stay Angry, and progress in my marriage. I want to share with you the story of Biff. Biff is an angry man. He is angry with Mabel, but all along he knew that there was something wrong with his relationship with God. When we initially met for counseling, he was not willing to acknowledge this, his deficient relationship with God, because he was so dialed in on what was going on horizontally, specifically speaking, in his marriage to Mabel. And because of that, no help was forthcoming. A counselor is limited. A disciple maker is limited to watering and planting. It is God that gives the growth. It is God that grants repentance, and that is in in cooperation with what the individual will do as God is granting that repentance. And Biff was not in a place to react or respond properly biblically to God. Therefore, the watering and planting, well, It was seed that was just waiting for germination at some future date. Let me share with you the story, and I trust that this will be beneficial uh, for you as you think about whatever horizontal relationships that you are in that are not satisfying or any conflict that may be going on in your life. Biff was an angry man, and he made it clear in his first counseling session The main target of his anger was his wife, Mabel. I asked Biff several questions about his sinful anger, and we worked through several scriptures hoping to help him. Now, he intellectually understood what I was telling him, and he even agreed that his response to her was wrong. 
you will find that happening many times, especially if you do a lot of disciple making or or counseling. That, that people aren't dumb; they're they're not so aloof or detached that they can't or won't pay attention to what you're actually telling them. But they're caught; they are captured. And even though they may agree with your assessment, they may agree with the scriptures that you are bringing forth. They're just not at that place of responding in a way uh, that would bring change. And so we met a few more times, and we talked, and we talked, and we talked, and we talked some more. The bottom line was that Biff was angry with his wife, and he had no current plans to change. We mutually agreed that our time together should end after a few sessions. Sometimes that's what needs to happen. Every so often, someone will write to me and they will say, Rick, when should we terminate or when should I terminate a counseling session? Well, that is a pneumatic thing that you subjectively discern. There is no codified answer that when these three things happen, then that's when you terminate a session. But sometimes it is evident that it's not going anywhere and your season of watering and planting is coming to an end. And so you terminate the session and you trust that God at some point in the future will give growth. And that is what I was hoping with uh, Biff. And so we ended, we mutually agreed that after a few sessions, it should be over. We remain friends. Uh, though he determined to hold on to his angry unforgiveness toward Mabel. By the way, one of the things that generally attaches itself to sinful anger in a relationship like this is unforgiveness. And so if you are parsing out some of the sin issues that a person has in a relational dust-up with another individual— Anger can be a broad-spectrum term, and so what you want to do is not only specify what kind of anger it is, but if that anger has been a pattern in the individual's life, then you're going to find other ancillary sins attached to it, like unforgiveness. You can't be angry with someone in an ongoing way without having an unforgiving spirit. Now, there will be other things as well, like self-righteousness. That is an automatic sin that comes with anger because sinful anger is a looking down on perspective. You are at this, you're, you're on this lofty perch. You're angry with someone. You can't be angry with them without looking down on them with a greater than, better than attitude. And so as you begin to tease out you want the sins that have accumulated with this type of individual, in this case with Biff toward his wife, Mabel, well, you want to specify what kind of anger is it. You want to automatically understand that self-righteousness is involved, and that is a dangerous sin because Christ did not come for self-righteous people. He came for the unrighteous. He came for the needy, the broken, the, the those people who knew that they needed something that they did not have, but the self-righteous person has a level of righteousness like the Pharisees, and there's no grace for that 
that person. Therefore, he must come down from his lofty perch in order to appropriate the grace that God provides for unrighteous people. And so there is a specific kind of anger. There is unrighteous, there is self-righteousness, a greater than, better than attitude that is attached to it. And many times you will find a spirit of unforgiveness, and that most definitely was the case with Biff. Now, I was sad, but I understood counseling's limitations. The primary goal of discipleship is not to change people. I never try to, well, I try not to ever try to change people. There have been a few times in my counseling life where I have tried to change people, and that never went well. I have a ceiling, and that ceiling stops at watering and planting. For the most part, I'm comfortable with that, and I don't tend to drive past my headlights because I know what my limitations are. Discipleship is mainly about glorifying God by sharing His Word with another individual. Disciplers water and plant, and that is all that they should do. That is all that they can do. Whether someone changes is not dependent on the disciple maker. I am not making a case for being a sloppy disciple maker. No, we should always be striving to grow and to mature at our craft. We want to be reading the Bible. We want to be asking God how to apply it practically. We want to be prayerful souls. We do want to be applying it to ourselves as we are our number one counselee. And as we grow in depth and understanding God's Word theologically, as we grow in breadth as far as applying it in many different contexts, including ourselves, we'll become more mature disciple-makers. But even with that said, we have limitations. Only God can grant repentance. It is up to the person who receives the good seed of God's Word as to whether he wants to cooperate with that seed and the grower of it so that he can change. Biff did agree with God's word, but he did not want to do what the Lord was prompting him to do, at least not during our time together. And sometimes a counseling season can can be just that. It can be a season. It's an artificial construct. It's why I'm not a big fan about counseling, biblical counseling methodology within that start date, stop date, because that is not taught in the Bible. Primarily, it is discipleship that is really open-ended, but sometimes the counseling construct can restrict what God can do because you have a very limited relationship with an individual, which is unlike the relationships that Jesus had with people where he lived with them in the milieu. But he did not want to change during our time together, and you can only ask a person to be nice to his wife so many times. Either he will become a gentler person or stop listening to you. And in the case of Biff, he stopped listening. His anger toward Mabel continued. Well, let's index for it. It was about one year later when I saw Biff again. He did not want to talk about his marriage this time around. He had another agenda, though I did ask him how he and Mabel were doing. He paused. He said, I'm not angry with her anymore. I knew I could not stay angry with her and make any progress in my marriage, end quote. And that's why I titled this video, this podcast, and the article, 
I could not stay angry and progress in my marriage. And it is a true story. It is, it is a truism. Uh, Biff came to that conclusion. How many people have you talked to who were stubbornly holding on to what they knew they needed to change? They knew they were angry. That's intellectual assent. I mean, they knew that they were angry, but they did not want to do what was necessary to change. Isn't that the way it always goes? Biff was like that. I've been like that. I suspect many of you have been like that as well. Maybe you can think of a time when you got angry at someone, and even while you were going off on them, the Spirit of God was illuminating your mind, saying, pull up, pull up, pull up. You were grieving and quenching the Spirit in real time as you were angry at someone. Well, he knew he was angry, but his soul was at war with himself. And he had no biblical gumption to do the right thing. In James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he asked this question, what causes quarrels and what causes conflict? And then James answered the query by stating that our passions, our desires, our coveting are raging inside of us. You could break down Biff's internal struggle accordingly. There are four steps in sequential order. Number one, his soul. His soul was at war. James says there were desires, there were passions, there were coveting, raging inside his soul. Number two, his brain, his mind. It, it could say something like this. I want something and you're not giving it to me. That's what James was saying about desires, passions, and coveting. So his soul was at war. You remember what Jesus said, from the heart, the mouth speaks. And so his heart was at war with desires, passions, coveting. His words, his brain is now communicating what that warfare means. I want something, and you're not giving it to me. Number three, his actions, emotional anger of all sorts were coming out of him. And then number four, the results, marital conflict and dysfunction. Well, you're going to have marital conflict and you're going to have dysfunction if you have a war within. And so his soul was at war. His brain was communicating. You're not giving me what I want. Therefore, emotions, his anger was coming out, his actions, anger was coming out of him. And of course, the results were marital conflict and dysfunction. Biff's warring passions drove him only to see how Mabel was not meeting his expectations, his desires, his coveting. I'm sure there were things Mabel could have done better. It always takes two to tango, as the bumper sticker says. There are always things a spouse needs to change, but whatever those things were, that was not the main problem with Biff. It's not like he could stand before Christ and say, uh, yo, Jesus, I, I know I was sinning. I was wrong, no doubt, but I was angry because of what Mabel was doing. No, we can't do that. It won't work. No, Biff must say something like, I chose to sin, I am at fault. Nobody made me do it. It's all on me. I have sinned against God and Mabel full 
stop. It's like when Samuel came to uh, David uh, after David had committed sin with Bathsheba, told the little sheep story, uh, not Samuel, Nathan, I'm sorry. Nathan told David the sheep story, and, and then once David processed what Nathan was was telling him, Nathan, uh, David said what we all should say, I have sinned against God, full stop. There were two problems in their marriage. One was about Biff, and the other was about Mabel. But there was only one problem Biff could control, and that was his anger toward Mabel. His best shot at restoring his marriage was to focus on what he could do to change rather than focusing on what she needed to do. That's right out of the Matthew playbook, chapter 7, 3, 4, and 5, the log in your eye. It took one year, but Biff finally made a different decision. It was a soul-transforming one. Biff knew his anger would not go away immediately, but he was earnest in putting this habituated 30-year pattern to death. Though his humility and initial steps toward transformation did not change his marriage, they were now on a different rail, heading in a new direction His first step in the repentance process was to ask God and to ask Mabel to forgive him, which he did. His second step was to his second step was to get his his butt language out of his vocabulary. Uh, You know what the butt language is, the self-justifying butt conjunction. It it keeps an edge on your anger. It can sound like this. Yes, I'm angry, but, or I did wrong when I yelled at her, but I shouldn't have done that, but. Coincidentally, as I was walking Biff through these things, I received an email. True story. I received an email from a lady who had been struggling similarly. How kind of God to send an email as I am writing this this article for you. Her response to her anger actually punctuated the truths that Biff was learning. Here is what this lady wrote to me. She said, quote, I was the person who wouldn't change. Through the work of the Spirit of God and the tenacious and loving confrontation of a Christian sister, the Lord granted me the repentance needed for the bitterness that I allowed into my heart, dating back many years. My anger spilled into other areas of my life, too. My heart was stony, and I knew it. Anger had captured my mind, end quote. You'll have to decide. Repentance is a unique and personal decision. If you're stuck in anger, you'll have to determine if you'll be honest with yourself, if you'll be honest with God, or keep justifying or rationalizing or blaming your sinful anger on something or somebody else. The decision to change will determine if you're going to make any progress in your relationship with God and with others. Typically, people who struggle with problems are not ignorant. Though that can be part of what's happening, I do understand that. There could be elements or traces of of ignorance going through laced in their minds, but typically they are not that ignorant. It's really more about stubborn or a full of a person who is full of self-will. It's like I was what I was saying earlier that there was intellectual assent. Biff knew what he was doing, but he was stubborn. 
He did not want to change. Being honest, being vulnerable, being transparent are three challenging bridges to cross for Adamic people. Biff and my email friend who wrote to me as I was constructing this article, they knew what they needed to do. Were they going to start walking out repentance? Their decision to cooperate with the Lord rather than stay in an ongoing conflict with their spouses was great news. God gave them the empowering grace to appropriate the humility that was needed, and they began to change. I remember sitting in jail as a 15-year-old angry teen. I want to give you a personal testimony, true story. As I was sitting in this 10 by 10 concrete wall room in solitary confinement, it was there that I decided that I would not continue to live the life I had been living. I determined I would no longer walk the path that I had been living while sitting there. It was a it was a path of death that I was on. I began the process of change at that moment. Now the effectual change came ten years later when the Lord imposed Himself on me in a regenerative way. I was born again tw- at at twenty five years of age. 10 years after my 10 by 10 sales stint as a 15-year-old punk kid. The road to change started in jail, but I did not realize the fruit of transformation for another decade. If sin has incarcerated you, the best thing you can do right now is change your mind about how you think about and respond to your problems. The main motive for change must be the way that I began this podcast to glorify God. The main motive for change has to be about our vertical relationship with the Lord. You will know your real motivation by how you respond after you start changing. If you fall back into your angry patterns because you're not getting what you hope would happen, Your decision to change was not adequate. You still have that war within. You still have coveting and passions and desires. But a person who wants to change will change without conditions. A person who wants to make excuses about change will not change. At least they will not change for long. Short-term change comes from a heart with a what's-in-it-for-me worldview. That's what short-term change is about. What's in it for me? They're only changing because they perceive something that they can get if they turn over that, that new leaf. That's not how effectual, transformative change happens. Initially, Biff came to me because he was in a bad marriage and his wife was not meeting all of his expectations, his desires, his coveting. Part of his complaint was valid. Biff was right, and Biff was wrong. His problem was placing the accent mark on what she was doing wrong, which is one of the most natural temptations when in conflict. I used that argument when I was a teenager. I had a long list of reasons why I was the way that I was, and though I knew I needed to change, I was quick to make a strong case about the injustices in my life, especially my abusive daddy. 
this unwittingly smoke and mirrors routine soften my sin while firmly trapping me in my victim-centered prison. There was enough truth about my victimization to blind me to what I needed to do. And there were just enough friends to affirm my justifications through their empathy. And so I stayed in my sin while not feeling bad about it. This numbing conscience strategy is deadly. It took a 10 by 10 jail cell to drive a different kind of truth through my thick head. I am not sure what the Lord used to drive a new reality into Biff's head, but he was spot on when he said, quote, I knew I could not stay angry and progress in my marriage, end quote. We are not helpless victims. Sin came to all of us through one man, but we are culpable too, for all have sinned. Our best play is to focus more on our culpability than our victimness. Nobody has ever done anything to us that is more severe or more damning than what we have done to Christ. The sinless Son of God died on a cruel tree to rescue us from our sins. It is unwise, it is unhelpful to focus on our victimhood in light of Calvary's truth. As you begin to change, Keep reminding yourself about your motives for change. This reminder will be vital. My motivation for improving as a 15-year-old was because I was tired of being me. Regardless of my abusive dad's behavior, I wanted to be free from my angry prison. The journey began with that decision, and true freedom came 10 years later. If you need to change, start changing. Don't overcomplicate it or overthink it. Just start. Decide to stop whatever it is you're doing or thinking. Don't put conditions on it. Don't say, I will change after, and then fill in the blank. Even as an unregenerative kid, I knew better than that. Though I had no clue where this new way would take me or the results, it didn't matter. I had to change. Of course, after I made that decision, nothing in my external life changed. My brothers were still mean. My dad was still a drunkard. My school teachers continued to judge me because of my well-deserved reputation. And nobody reached out to help. Having people helping me as a kid would have been a would have been great, but their lack of helpful responses did not hinder me from changing. I changed because I was tired of being the way that I was. I could not control what others were doing, but I could purposely break my habituation to excuse-making and other ancillary sins in my heart. Do you want to change? If so, I want to give you five ideas as I wrap up this podcast that will assist you toward transformation. Number one, be honest. Don't play the victim card. Tell the absolute truth about yourself. Don't add any if and or but to your drama in your life. Make it all about you, not others. Tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth about yourself. Be honest. Number two, tell a friend. Let someone know how you need to change and why you need to change. Make them speak into your life. Hold them accountable. Hold them accountable for holding you accountable. Don't let them off the hook. Tell a friend and make them hold you accountable. You may have to remind them week after week. Tell a friend. Number three, guard your heart. 
Keep yourself from yielding to the temptation to fall back into old patterns. You want specific things to happen in your life and relationships. That makes you normal. But personal change does not mean you'll get the life you want. It does mean God's favor will be on you. Guard your heart. Number four, gratitude. Thank God daily because he gave you the desire and the power to change. For God to care so much about you, to motivate you to change, is a profound reason for daily gratitude. Number four, gratitude. Number five, export the gospel. Changing is not just about you. God regenerates and begins the process of sanctification to spread his fame in the lives of others. As you are changing, be sure to ask the Lord to bring people across your path so you can share the good news with them. Go and make disciples. Five considerations. Be honest. Tell a friend. Guard your heart. Daily gratitude. Export the gospel. You're listening to the article, the podcast, and the video. Read, watch, or listen. I could not stay angry and progress in my marriage. Let me, by the way, uh, share with you. I think I have a book here. This book is called Change Me. This is the book, and you can get it on Amazon, Change Me, the Ultimate Life Handbook. This is a book that I have written. There's a lot. You see some of the graphics there for those of you who are watching uh, on the video. There's a lot of graphics here, and at the end of each chapter in this book, uh, there are call to action. And I would encourage you, if you haven't read this book, this is a workbook on how uh, transformation happens. And so if you have haven't gotten this book, go to Amazon, Rick Thomas, look for Change Me, looks just like this, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. I would encourage you to get it. It will help you. It is a manual. It's not something that you would read one time, but something that you would keep referencing over and over again. Let that resource uh, be a transformative tool for you in the process of change. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.